1: Tonight, year eight of the Drunken Taos podcast begins with the return of our pal, author Chris Ryan, for a grand conversation about his important new book, Civilized to Death, including Technology Will Not Solve Our Problems. We've replaced friendships and community with staring at Instagram accounts. And it is impossible for a $1,500 bottle of wine to taste 100 times better than a $15 bottle. It's time to fix some stuff. Here we go. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers, and my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli, as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dots podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast, episode 168. This time, brought to you from an undisclosed location
0: somewhere near the Big Rock in California. Beautiful. Today, since uh, since we got the man who has, through his ideas, inspired people to get laid in lots of strange and various ways... Not that humans need to have inspiration in that regards, but apparently they do because the impact has been big, Mr. Chris Ryan of Sex and Dawn fame, Sex at Dawn rather. Let's give thanks, it seems rather appropriate, to one sponsor today, the sweet folks who makes powerful erections possible at BlueChew.com. Blue Chew, Blue Chew, you make you make coo when you crunch a Blue Chew, y'all. Uh, yes, indeed. So you guys know the drill? Promo code for Drunk and Taoist listeners is quite appropriately DRUNK, D-R-U-N-K. It's beautiful. You guys don't need to, you know, hang around with the doctor to get like, hey, I need my pills to make my sex life better. Everything done online, arrive in the mail, and um, doesn't get any better than that, right? No, it'll make everybody happy. Special deal for our listener, visit bluechew.com, get your first shipment free. When you use your special promo code DRUNK, just pay $5 for shipping, and that's it. Again, that's B-L-U-E, the word chew, C-H-E-W.com. Promo code DRUNK <laughs> to try it free.
1: I think they went with that
0: promo code because it's hard to spell. bang. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much to Bluetooth uh, thank you of course to Onnit.com for sponsoring us since forever we love you guys and you, again I don't want to take forever on the intros I want to make them quick so if you guys can do me a huge favor and just take a look at the Onnit website and see if there's anything that would fit your lifestyle that you can dig You have our own promo code, which is Taoist. I think you go to onnit.com forward slash Taoist and get an automatic discount.
1: Sure design t-shirts, suredesignteashirts.com. Hundreds of colors, hundreds of styles, all sorts of cool from dresses to shirts, great light material. Like, there's one right there. I'm wearing our EQ t-shirt. That's always glorious. So like he said we could beg you a thousand times just go to the website and check it out you're sure to find something i'm sure you have a girlfriend or somebody who needs something and uh, you could take care of business that way and they're great guys
0: and we'll do three shout outs in the next 27 seconds. Let's okay. try, ready, go.
1: Grasslinebeef.com?
0: Yes, those guys are awesome. We eat their beef, it's amazing. We love it. Glorious. Never tap gear? Never tap gear. They have Savannas, uh, Rush Guards, uh, some of their products, never mind the awesome knee braces that protect your joints. Check them out. And the one I'm forgetting? And the one I <laughs> forget, you will be Snow Rose Coffee. Oh, you know, if you drink coffee, you might as well buy it from somebody who supports us. They are sweet, they are a tiny operation, they make great quality stuff. Code Tau T-A Oh, 018 for a discount.
1: There you go, guys. We kept it under four minutes. Thanks for listening. Check out those websites now. Interview Chris Ryan in his fantastic new book, "Civilized to Death." Here we go. okay everybody's good
0: okay ladies and gentlemen usually we jump right into the conversation and I don't want to keep the gentleman here with me waiting but there's a couple of things I want to bring up that have been on my mind particularly last night I was up super late trying to finish the book by Mr. Chris Ryan new book out Civilized to Death and I have I mean, you you hear our reflections as we jump into the conversations, but I have a few things I want to bring up even before we start a conversation, which is, it's been a really long, long, long fucking time since the last time I read a book that I actually enjoyed. You know, most of the time I'm reading books either for History on Fire, and I mean, I enjoy them the way you enjoy something that you got to go through to, you know, it's like, is the guy who is digging for gold sloshing through 72 pounds of mud to get to one speckle of gold enjoying it? I don't know, I mean, maybe. But that's kind of the process with a lot of the history books. They are not something that I say, wow, this is so much fun to read. It's more, uh, okay, it's useful. It does its job and then I can do my stuff with it. But as far as reading for pleasure, eh, 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 you know, one of the things that... Uh, I think, like, books have been largely spoiled for me as of late by my experiences with the publishing industry, where I started realizing kind of what goes on behind the scene, and it's so gross most of the time, it's not even funny. And now when I read the books, even of people I know and like and admire, sometimes I run into these books that are just, I can see a mile away, like, 32 hands behind crafting the book. There's a whole marketing department who told them to break down the chapters in a certain way. There's an editor who does everything a certain way. There's like the agent who say, no, 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 we need to recraft it another. So I have a hard time. Like even people I like I've read some, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. I feel kind of gross most of the time because I feel that a lot of the books I'm reading these days have no soul, have no vision, have no passion. They are plastic put together by somebody in a marketing department and the book basically came out out of a committee where they just bought the author's name the brand stamp it on there bought their audience but the result is crap let's look at it you know it's well crafted crap is well organized crap sometimes it's even well written crap it's still crap (laughs) you know it's just makes me want to take a shower after i read a chapter you know the point of saying this is not to say that Mr. Chris Ryan's book fit in this pattern, quite the opposite. It was like the incredibly pleasant surprise of reading something where every page I was going like, God damn it, this is good. This is good in multiple ways. This is good because it has vision. This is good because I can hear Chris's voice in every page. I know this is his book. Is not like this... Mass produce shit that gets crapped out by by a publishing company with an eye on making the money. I can see a vision in his book. I can see an impact. It touches on some of the things that are as important as it ever gets in terms of uh, our lives here today. So I've been I haven't been this enthusiastic about a book in longer than I can remember. So this is my spiel to say, good job, my man. This Thank was. You. God, I'm embarrassed. Fucking amazing.
1: Well, well, let me let me continue the embarrassment then, because I oh, made a list of three oh books, because <laughs> I kind of went the opposite route of books I've really enjoyed over the past kind of decade, and Guns, Germs, and Steel, Jared Diamond, Tribe by Sebastian Unger, and Sapiens by Yuval Harari. Harari. Yeah. This tops them all. Oh, dude, hmm. thank you.
2: Yep. Yeah, that's where I'm. All right, I, I can't. There's nothing I can say now. That's, right. Can we just end it there? Yes. That, okay. That you. was a that good was podcast. Good. That thank was can nice. You book out, <laughs> civilized
1: to death. We'll see you next time. <laughs>
2: well, but no, seriously, why not? No, no. I, I, that that's really touching because um, you're right. That my editor Ben Lonan uh, not only is the most patient man on earth. Like I delivered this book like probably five years after it right. was due. Uh, but he was like all along, he said, Hey man, it's your book. You, you do what you need to do. Like if it's going to yep. take you another couple of years, fine, do, do it. Mm-hmm. If it's gonna, you know, and, and he would give me advice and things, but you're spot on. He didn't push it in any direction. He didn't like try to force me to commercialize it or you know, 10 steps to happiness and end with a, right. you know, of course. it was just like, say what you need to say, you know, say
0: what's true. And you're right. That's very rare in publishing. Yeah. So that's, kudos to him. And, you know, in that sense, awesome that you were able to craft those kind of relationships within the publishing world to be able to carry it. You know, you carrying the weight to be able to have that and him being receptive to it and say, yeah, of course, it's your book. Well, he was also
2: my editor on Sex at Dawn. That helps a lot. Different publisher. Sure. And I think, and he was younger then and newer Mm -hmm. to the industry and he didn't have the kind of leverage then to protect me. Right. The way he did on this one. Mm -hmm. And I I wonder if, I don't know in his mind, but I sometimes I wonder if if he might have felt a little bad for some of the bullshit that went on with Sex at Dawn I'm, right. and this time he, he insulated me from that
0: well that's a very rare thing in the publishing industry somebody who has been in the publishing industry that long and hasn't gotten jaded hasn't gotten in you know, oh this is just the way the business works yeah, yeah. and let you and not lets you, fights you to fights to let you do your thing. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm glad because another thing that I want to mention is you're a really good damn writer. You thank know, you. most people, like I found myself cracking up reading the book. There were some awesome jokes here and there where I'm like, you're taking me in these super deep concepts where I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. And then you throw a joke <laughs> that I'm on the floor. I'm like, oh, this is really hilarious. So it uh, has, you know, thank you. everything Jesus. I could have wanted in this book uh, was there and more so i've been uh i'm mildly sleep deprived this morning because i stayed up till really late to make sure i would finish it but
2: i'm sorry man
0: no no it's uh that was
2: not necessary he was worried every it. other interview i do the person's gonna pretend they read it right you no know? no but i <laughs> it's because <laughs> i enjoyed it very few you know? people you know as an author yourself yeah, you know that when when because people don't read people it. haven't yeah. read your book they think they're getting away with it of course but as the author you know they ask a question you're like yeah that was in chapter yeah three. yeah exactly you the book of course yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> no no man it's seriously i enjoyed it so much oh, i was um really i've been very very into it and i think okay beside my own personal okay is the daniele bolelli taste tower and this is what i enjoy <laughs> aside for that i really think this is a I hate to use the word important. It sounds like stern and stiff, but in the sense of like, when we talk about what's up with human life, what's up with being alive today, what's up with the things that matter, this is as important a book as it ever gets. Because regardless of whether people fully agree with every single thing you say or not, the questions you bring up are the key questions that should be on, uh, you know, if politics wasn't a joke, they should be on a political platform everywhere. They okay. should be the core questions that anybody who has any influence or power would want to address to make human life better, basically, to make uh, life considerably better than it, than what we got out, you know, when you look outside yeah. the window kind of thing.
2: Yeah. You know, when I was writing it, one of the reasons it took so long is that I I kept sort of running into a wall of, uh, you know, when a question is, is so big, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like getting, I I don't know. It's like, I don't know the wall, the great wall of China. If you're 10 feet away from it, you don't know it's the great wall of China. You just know it's this thing in front of you that is blocking your vision. And the questions I was trying to address in this book are so big that sometimes it felt like I couldn't even see them. Like, like is this a really profound point or is this so obvious it's not worth asking, you know? Or or is it such a big question, there's no way I can even adequately address it in a book, mm-hmm. you know? And actually, I there's a part, I one thing that Ben did, my editor, um... There was a big section of the book that he, when he read that draft, he said, you know what, this whole thing, this is a different book. You mm. can't do that. Okay. You can't answer this quick. Because, so for people who haven't, have no idea what we're talking about, the book is basically an examination of, has civilization been a net benefit to human beings or not? Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a ridiculous question to most people because we're so indoctrinated with the pro-civilizational propaganda that it's the greatest thing that our species has ever done that any species has ever done it's given us art and medicine and you know leisure and all this wonderful stuff and that is so ubiquitous that people can't question it and one of the reasons they can't question is that they're so busy working Mm -hmm. that they don't have time to question whether in fact civilization has given them leisure which is kind of ironic (laughs) that's
0: the paradox yeah
2: (laughs) yeah um, but I got to a point in the book where I was saying, okay, wait a minute. Cause obviously I'm questioning this, this premise. And I got to a point where I said, uh, now I need to answer the question of why is civilization so powerful? Mm-hmm. If in fact, it's not a net benefit to human beings. Right. Uh, and then I got into this whole question of civilization as sort of a, like a brain parasite, mm-hmm. like Toxo, you know, yep. and, and and how things memes and how things can get into us, ideas and concepts can have their take on their own life, and then like we're I know I'm starting to sound like a lunatic here, but like we are embedded in a super organism that is an institution or a government or a religion, and then those are embedded in larger super organ- So I got into this whole thing, and he was like, dude. That's a different book. Hmm. You can't get into that here. I, there might still be. I think there's still a taste of it yeah. in here, um, but uh, yeah, I don't remember what question I was. More I was free rolling, but the, <laughs>
0: I think that's like there's a line from Game of Thrones: Tyrion Lannister. People's minds are not made for problems that big. Yeah, <laughs> <You> know, <it's laughs> exactly. like It very and much. Fits, nor is know, mine. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you are talking about. Really, the meaning of life to some degree. And you're talking yeah. about things that are so. And I guess to your point about the civilization as a parasite, in a way, there's a point that we had last time we were sitting here and having a conversation that we were making about. The reason why you can see that that's the case is that the people who are quote unquote winning the game are not really winning the game. Right. Like when you look at the quality of like the happiness yeah. that most of the people who should be super happy and successful and have everything they want and they are not, then you're like, well, who does it benefit? Then, if it's, exactly. if it's not benefit the winners, exactly, then who the hell does it benefit? That's and,
2: precisely the the question
1: that led me off onto that tangent I where I got see into. see why. The, yeah, yes, exactly. well, especially when those winners are making the rest of everyone miserable by squeezing them down even further and making their lives yeah right. More and, difficult.
0: and it would make sense if it was, you know, you're fucking over everyone else because you're getting like you are so happy and you are just right. my happiness is paid for with your misery i understand that it sucks yeah. but i get it but then when you look at their life and you look like you're not happy either you're just you know the then what the fuck are we doing this for you know right. what's the well I, you know civilization
1: itself i think the the first and the fossil record arthritis bad backs arrived with cultivation right and uh, you know in agriculture uh, and the like yeah. the clear winner tooth, is wheat and decay. corn the yeah. right yeah dna yeah. wise they spread over the whole planet yeah. and we were moving the rocks and carrying the water right. for them
2: that's right. an amazing it, sort of thing again that's another way to look right like michael Pollan does that whole thing right like, yeah, yeah. you know who's winning this us or chickens well
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: if you look at population chickens and
1: civilization yeah. wise the, the notion of it's a short step from luxury to necessity we have stumbled through that, and especially now, like yep. when things come up, and five years later, everyone has one, everyone's right. locked in, right. and it only seems
2: to be getting worse. Well, that's and, Louis C.K.'s whole thing about that, you know, we should be on every airplane the whole flight. We should just be going, Whoa, <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> Instead, we're saying, My, my seat doesn't recline all right, all enough. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's true. Miracles get like folded into daily life so quickly.
0: Well, and to clarify for people who are say, hey, you're saying that the past was awesome. What Chris is talking about is a particular kind of, well, actually the biggest amount of human history, but the one that gets the, le- the least press. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, even right. to his 99% of right. the time we've been around, is not what you typically hear, which is the pre-agriculture, like 100,000 years of us as hunters and gatherers Mm. living in small communities as hunters and gatherers. So no, nobody's compared, you know, the point is, and I think you make that point in the book at some point, that's occasionally when people are sort of trying to criticize that argument about how in some way Good hunters and gatherers said it, then they bring up examples that are not from hunters and gatherers, right. that Medieval are from exactly, like, or something. Well, that has nothing to do with what that's already right. when the virus yeah. is in full swing. Exactly.
2: Uh, or, or the most common one I get is people say, you know, but modern medicine, we have vaccines right. that save us from smallpox and chickenpox and tuberculosis. Right. And, and it's like none of those things existed in prehistory. Exactly. Yeah. So they save us from problems or they save some of us, I should say, right. from problems that we we're created, created. Exactly. by the system, you know, so it's like this circular thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, thank God we have airbags and seatbelts because our ancestors all died
0: in auto accidents. <laughs> like, no, <Exactly>. they didn't. <laughs> there were no cars, man. Well, there's one point that so that you bring up, but I'll let you jump into it. Um, the one of the obvious question is then why the change, right? If you have this system where people are having this fairly fulfilled life as hunters and gatherers, where life seems to you know, And you bring up plenty of evidence across the board for how you define quality of life, how mm-hmm. it shows up in many different cultures around the world when you talk about hunters and gatherers. Then the question is, why switch from something that works so well yeah. f- to something that clearly is going to progressively slide in a direction that's less than desirable? Why the need to change at all? And yeah. in, in some way, I mean... That's a weird question, because for a hundred thousand years, people didn't change, yeah. and even when they were exposed to the first farming communities, many did not want to change, yeah, but still, somebody did change how and why, and it spread right yeah, right yeah it's it's an interesting
2: question, and and uh, as you probably remember in the book i I talk about this guy in Napa Valley who oh, yeah. got up one morning uh they were visiting a winery and they were going to do a, a hot air balloon trip over the the vineyards and as they were setting up the balloon it was sort of semi-inflated and uh a a wind came through and the balloon started to get away from the managers and this dude who was from Scotland jumped in to help them hold on to the balloon and the 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 anchor ropes broke And the balloon started to lift off and all the professionals let go immediately because anyone who works with balloons knows you never let both feet off the ground. This guy didn't know that. And he held on and the balloon took off and he rose up two or 300 feet above the parking lot until he couldn't hold on anymore and he fell to his death. The reason I kept thinking about that guy is i thought that's what happened with agriculture the very first people it made sense to them that first move was like shit we've got all these people the rains have stopped all these trees that were giving us nuts and fruits aren't anymore they're dying we know that's where the food comes from we know they're dying because they're not getting any water What if we dug a trench from the river over to here Mm -hmm. and save these trees? Wouldn't that be great? That's a great idea. Whoever first thought of that was brilliant. He was the, or she was the Einstein of that moment and a hero. They saved their people. But what the process that they put in place that started with that was like that guy grabbing the balloon. He was just trying to help out and every you know, imagine being that guy. Like when you're ten feet off the ground, you're thinking, I should have let go when I was five feet off the ground. And then by the time you're done thinking that, you're twenty feet off the ground. And now you're thinking, I should have let go when I was ten feet off the ground. <laughs> yeah. And then and that's population. Yeah. Right. So once they started manipulating nature to to change nature rather than following nature, they're leading nature. So now they've figured out, oh, we can plant trees closer to the river in addition to digging these trenches. And then if we do that, these animals come and we can just hide out and kill these animals. And then we can actually catch the animals. We can enclose them. And they'll breed, and then we domesticate animals. So one thing leads to another, to another, and it's a ratcheting process. Mm-hmm. Each step you can never go back because the population is growing so quickly. And what we see is human population was relatively steady through those 100, 200, 300,000 years of hunter-gathering, and then once agriculture starts, population goes totally vertical, Yep, um, largely because... Uh, women are having far more babies. Um, they're not breastfeeding as long as long. So they get pregnant faster. The, they're giving kids milk from animals. And mm-hmm. so the whole process is changing. And uh, and once that population growth starts then it becomes impossible to ever go back to the mm-hmm. old ways and then the accountants show up <laughs> well that's immediately what happens right the we start the, counting and making lists Countings. uh you've got uh, armies to protect the harvest you've got armies of slaves to bring in the harvest and to sow the seeds you've got hierarchies because someone needs to decide who gets to eat and who doesn't and how much you get and how all these systems the the hierarchies and the militarism and all this stuff begins with agriculture Mm -hmm. and once it starts of course then those people have their interests and you know getting back to the earlier conversation you get institutions and now institutions have their own sort of life force right. and their own agendas and religions, and it becomes unstoppable. Yep. Sounds so like we're in trouble. It, we've been in trouble for you know 10,000 years. Yes. Right, no, for <laughs> it's sure. It's just, we've been digging a hole, and we're just getting deeper and deeper. Well, it's I'm, funny,
1: all the shows we've done over the years, the theme that comes out over and over again with people is the loneliness we've created. And I think okay. the book says what... One in twenty-five percent of us live alone now. Right, for the first live time. alone, yeah, yeah. And the sex doll doesn't count, I don't think. So the what the sex doll doesn't count. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I mean that's I, I. It's funny, but it's also an image of what's happening as we merge with technology. Yeah. So maybe it's not a sex doll, but it's an iPad. You are sitting in bed alone, looking at your friends' Instagram accounts, and that's what's replaced. Friendship, Yeah. Right. Or
0: community. Well, and I think that's one of the points that you make very clearly in the book is that a lot of what's around us today, a lot of the things that we enjoy today are sort of the plastic replacement of the real thing. Exactly. And that when, uh, you know, it's trying to recapture the real thing and it's giving you enough of a taste that is like it's better than nothing. You know, if you have nothing whatsoever and you're stuck in your room alone, then having a computer that give you access to the world is right. great. Right. But it's but, still not quite delivering that same as the real right, thing, like right. real, real relationships with other human beings. Yeah. Real, you know, the as cool as the sex robot may be, it's not quite the same thing as a, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah, or porn, yeah, right, of course. or or
2: even a, a cell phone conversation with a real human being yep. on the other end is like what? What did you say? Yeah, uh, you're right. It 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 seems to me that you know what is generally called progress is largely uh, destruction of something that was rich mm-hmm. and free. And then you create a market for something that can be sold. Right. That's, as you said, a plastic copy of yeah. that thing. So you destroy true friendships and you create social media mm-hmm. or a true yep. community. You you um, make sex off limits and full of shame and prohibition and so on. But you've got porn or you've got, you know, sex workers and dominatrixes and nothing against dominatrixes. Uh, Some of my best friends are (laughs) dominant. But yeah, it's, you know, or or you you wipe out uh, the garden. You Mm -hmm. can't have a garden. It's the zoning doesn't allow you to have a garden or chickens or whatever. Um, But you can go down to the uh, Costco and get your, you know, super cheap
1: chickens that are grown in a factory that pollute a river somewhere. It's just yep, And the speed with which it goes down, I mean, just talking about, you know, being a kid raised in the 70s, we disappeared at nine in the morning once we had our breakfast and went off and nobody knew what the fuck we were up to and would have been paralyzed with fear if they did know. Yeah. But we all seem to make it back each night, and that within a generation has already been you know. Now you have um, what are they escape rooms? It seems to be you know yeah. people searching for some sort of adventure. Yeah. While we've uh, helicopter bombed these kids into cowards.
2: Yeah. Every every part of life that can be commodified will be. Right. Right. I, I often think of that. Uh, that State Farm commercial, right? Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there as long as you pay your bill on what time. What about the neighbor? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like, we used to have neighbors, right? And that's an exactly what you're saying. Like, yeah, they give you this this thing that looks like the thing that you've evolved to need, right? Right, we, and it's like candy corn.
0: No. It's not corn, right?
2: <laughs> it looks but like it's corn. It like, hey, looks It'll like it. It'll fuck it's, you up, right?
0: <laughs> It'll ruin your teeth. Well, and in some way, it goes back to what I opened with. Shout out to Halloween, bro. Yeah, (laughs) and corn syrup. (laughs) And corn syrup, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing as the books we're talking about. You know, it's like, and speaking of, you know, there's a weird process at play. Some of these books, I mean, I'm not even thinking about a lot of the crap that's out there. I'm even thinking books written by people I like, I respect, who are smart, and they are talented. So everything checks, you know, Mm. all the boxes check. And yet, you see the same thing. It's like what gets crafted, you know, by the time it's digested through the nine stomach chambers of the publishing industry, <laughs> what comes out is something I like that. that publishing <laughs> as bovine. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Nothing to do with this person's right, talent. Right. And it's just this plastic version of what a book by this person should look like. Right. And they're like. But isn't that why we do podcasts?
2: Right. Like, that's why. I imagine the three of us are also attracted to this medium Mm -hmm. because there's nothing between this microphone and the headphone of the person who's listening to this. Right.
0: It's whatever you feel like, whatever rabbit hole you feel going down, whatever topic, you go for it. And that's it. It's
1: very refreshing. No, I get it. It is refreshing. It's for sure.
0: Yeah. And it's... It's tricky, I guess going back to one of the things you were saying about the transformation of something that looks like a great invention, like farming during, and you know probably you put the finger on the right spot, you know some kind of environmental crisis in a local area that lasts long enough to force people to say, Hey, we need to make some changes here because we're not going to get by the way we used to, yeah, so you do make a genius change that saves everybody and actually looks good for quite a while because it's not that the day people settle down everything goes to shit overnight, you sure. know. For a while, when your village of uh, 50 hunters and gatherers become a village of 150 farmers, not that bad. Still, the conditions mostly still apply. Yeah. But over the long run, you you know, it starts spiraling out of control. Now, these are things that have been going on for 10,000 years. Now, the speed at which we introduce new changes with which we have no idea what the repercussions will be down the road. Yeah is so much faster. Yeah. There's like a new thing happening. And
2: so much more global. Yeah, exactly. Not localized.
0: So it's not that suddenly you can go, oh, but these guys, look, we fucked up here, but these guys haven't, we should go with this route because everybody's doing the same stuff across the globe. Yeah. And so it's like, ooh, uh, really sure that, I mean, in some ways, like, yeah, how do you, when so many innovations are actually beneficial and they help people, as much as L people is, again, in quotation mark. Maybe it's L people just to save you from all the fuck-ups that have already been created. But still, it's better to, you know, have uh, internet that connects you to your friend across the world and not have it kind of thing. And yet, you know, when the repercussions are completely uncharted territory and there are about ten thousands of them happening at the same time, yeah. it's like, whoa, that's... Uh, kind of a scary process in some way well
2: getting back to your game of thrones quote the human brain is not designed to keep track of this much information yep and so the scale of uh, like technological innovation is beyond the capacity of any of us to keep track of which then gets back to the the question of like who benefits right right who's who is behind all this and I don't you know, one of the, you guys are talking about like, uh, even when, when even the wealthiest, mm-hmm. you know, a guy with 50 times as much money as you and I have, isn't 50 times as happy. No, you can't true. be 50 times right. as happy as we are. It just <laughs> right. can't happen. Right. And you we talked about wine earlier. Yeah. Like I like wine A $15 bottle of Spanish Rioja rings my fucking bell, man. <laughs> like that's all I need. Yeah. A $1,500 bottle of wine is not a hundred times better. Uh, There is nothing a hundred times better. Right. Right. So there's a bunch of bullshit in this sort of scaling up of wealth. Mm -hmm. Comfort. You know, I read a book recently where there was a, a line. uh, The woman said, a meal is as good as a feast. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it, in fact, it's better than a right. feast. A feast you get all fancy, you gotta wear you gotta worry about which spoon you're using <laughs> and you know, your cocktail party banter has No, I just wanna eat yeah. good food with friends, right? Yeah. So there's like um the rule of diminishing returns kicks in really quickly. Uh-huh. And so I don't believe there's a, a section in there, uh, Rich Asshole Syndrome. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is just excerpted by wired.com. Yeah. Uh, what I was trying to do there was say, like, I don't blame rich people. Mm-hmm. I don't think rich people are the problem. Right. I think the system is the problem. And as you said earlier, mm-hmm. they're as much a victim of it as anyone else. Maybe more so because they spend their lives chasing something that doesn't exist. Right. And, maybe miserable. They're, and they're miserable. And they're miserable. And and that's why they're miserable cuz it's like I've spent all this time. I went to Harvard, mm-hmm. then I went to Stanford, then I started a business, and then I made all this money, then I, you know, and I got the big house overlooking the ocean and I got the five car garage and I got the wife with the big fake tits. I got it all and I'm a
1: Totally unhappy, right? And I feel nothing. <laughs> I feel yeah. nothing because I'm still not Bill Gates. Yeah. It's like right,
2: and and even Bill. What does Bill Gates right. feel? You know, yeah. what what do any of them feel? Yeah. I think you know maybe um Warren Buffett uh, at Berkshire Hathaway, right? He's he's probably the billionaire who's happiest. He lives in the same house he lived in in the 70s. Right. He's married to the same woman. Yeah, like he he does it for fun. Yeah. he doesn't think he's gonna. Find uh any kind of ultimate anyway the the point that I was trying to make is <clears throat> yeah, that we're all stuck in the system that's pathological, mm-hmm. and I don't blame anyone individually, sure, I think even even the destruction of the earth, I think is it's out of it's beyond our capacity to understand or control mm-hmm. the head of Exxon. Could go to work on Monday morning and say, dudes, we're making a mistake here. We got to change. We can't do this deep water drilling anymore. We shouldn't be drilling in the Arctic. This is a
1: mess. We need to cut back. What's going to happen? He'd be replaced. He'd have his box with his plant in it on his way to the door 10 minutes later. With security leading him up. So the
2: idea that people run corporations is backwards. Corporations run people. Right. And the idea that civilization works for us? No, we work for civilization.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I like to say it seems like the machines are seeing how fast they can make the people go these days. Right. Because it really is cranking up. I I think this was from the angry asshole section, but it's one of my favorite parts. A sense of meaning, not happiness, is the essential ingredient to a worthwhile life. Right. That's what we got to teach folks. Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, pile of platinum is not going to do it for you. It makes poverty a lot easier, but beyond yeah. that.
0: Yeah, for sure, because there's, uh, yeah, there's something to that. You know, it's like nobody's saying, uh, you know, none of us here are preaching a worldview where it's like you have to give up all your comfort and it's all about being this stoic. It's not about that at all, but it's about... Deriving true enjoyment from the experiences, the object, the things you touch, the things, you know, it's like in that sense, a table that you made with your own damn hands or that you help your friend make if you suck at making tables or you sat there when your friend is making while you're drinking wine and saying, God damn, I wish I could do that. Can you show me? Okay, I still can do it, but I like see you. That thing, you're probably going to derive 500 times more enjoyment from that object every time you sit at that damn table than something you bought at ikea just because it's like there's a story there you know what i mean there's something behind everything that you touch around in your life is there for a reason there are experiences that have gone into it there is energy that has gone into it and
2: you had you have the kind of life that affords you time to make a table if you want to right we think people are lucky who have the money to go out and buy a two thousand dollar table but if you look at They don't have enough time to make one, of course, or learn one or sit down with their friend and design one. That's the luxury. Yeah, the luxury is not having the money to go and buy it on your way to work or on your way back or to send your assistant out to buy it because you don't even have time to stop in the store. The luxury is to have the time to make it yourself.
1: Sometimes it's the problem that people can't identify that thing for themselves, though. I mean, I mentioned star parties earlier. Mm -hmm. That has become my favorite thing to do. It may be my favorite Mm -hmm. day of the month because I get to show 400 people Saturn and Jupiter for the first time Mm -hmm. and and let them know that those photons touched that planet 44 minutes ago, and now they've infected your eyes. And I just love it, and I look forward to it, and it really makes – you know. and I do have to carve that day out, sadly – but I do because it makes me feel so mm-hmm. much better. And if only everybody could find their thing like that, maybe that's kind of the first step that we open up these little pockets for us to share our times with each other. Cause you know, these people you bump into along the way, the sparks you create in those moments, that's where the forward momentum is going to come from. Yeah. Looking at your fucking bank account on the internet and then switching back to your favorite porn channel is not going to get us there. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm looking for, if there's any way out of it. I know you had the three possibilities at the end. And yeah, two out
0: of three don't sound so good. No. <laughs> and the third sounds impossible. Almost, yeah. almost impossible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, I'm not... Uh, I don't see a lot of evidence in history for our species making... Good decisions, <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know, like I, I quote uh, Ronald Wright's book, A Brief History of Progress, uh, quite a bit in, in Civilized to Death. I love that book, and uh, he says, each time history repeats itself, the price goes up, right? Yes, yep. and he makes the point that every civilization that's ever existed has collapsed, everyone, uh, and he sort of traces that each of them go through the same stages and man you read that book and it's like check them off right now yeah Yeah, like it's so clear and you can see right where we are Overextended military
1: wrong focus the all
2: of it the center is corrupted i mean like look at the government you know like what is happening like it can't function of course it can't function like the, the people there's no sincerity in there there's no authenticity everyone's playing a role they're all you know chasing some imaginary satisfaction so we see what's happening and then the point he makes is what we were saying earlier this is the first time it's not regional mm-hmm. this is yep. global when this shit falls we're all fucked yep but on the upside the there's bees the, will
1: do a great job What's that? The bees
2: will do a great job. <laughs> well, if there's any left. If there's yeah. a few left. Uh but no, I, I, I mean the upside I was gonna point out is is um disaster sociology, the the stuff where I talked about Rebecca Solnit's book Um Paradise Built in Hell, where she goes through and documents that in actual disasters, what people find is a sense of meaning. Yeah. Right? Not necessarily happiness, but they find meaning, and that's more important than happiness. So <clears throat> I remember she quoted uh, the guy who basically started the field of disaster sociology, and he said that at the end of his life, having studied this you know for so long, <clears throat> he'd concluded that when people face the earthquake or the war or the flooding or whatever the problem is, they find so much meaning there that they look back on that as the best time of their lives. Mm-hmm.
1: I think we said London during mm-hmm. the Blitz. People remember that terrifying. Suicide rates plummeted. Drop to nothing. Right. Yeah, Depression drops mm-hmm. to nothing. Because you're for the moment. You may not be here
2: tomorrow. And what are you finding? You're finding these things that we have innate, evolved appetite for, need for, community. Mm-hmm. You're helping people. Other people are helping you you're sharing like these egalitarian hunter-gatherer ways of living are able to come to the surface because the civilizational structures have fallen away Mm -hmm. and his point i remember he said i think i'm quoting him he said the disasters are not the problem the real disaster is normal life. <laughs> right, 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 right.
0: No, and I get it. And so I,
2: that's the upside. Yeah. Like we may be facing civilizational collapse. Mm-hmm. I think we are. I don't know if it'll happen in the next decade or two, sure. but it's definitely happening. Uh, but the upside of that is a lot of the shit that is going to fall away, we don't need anyway, and is actually interfering with our lives.
0: Some of it for sure. Right, yeah. some of it it depends, of course, what exactly collapse means. If you are saying you know, right. there's no more drinking water, well, okay, that's then it's game over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a, There's no upside to that, yeah. you know. Exactly. Is uh, if but it's, if it's uh, no more Perrier, yeah, yeah, we're good, we're all right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, in fact, that's that's there are very different stages yeah, of yeah. what we mean by LeCroy, collapse. I can live without some it. that could be, you know, collapse of a rotten system that leads to a rebirth. We like that. Right. Others that are collapsed and then there's dead silence because it's game over, you know. Or Mad Max. Right. Exactly. Which, by the way, is interesting because if you notice a lot of sort of the apocalyptic fiction that we consume from the Mad Max to the Walking Dead to that kind of thing is very much clearly in the opposite camp of your view of human nature Is very much the Thomas Hobbes, uh, you know, human beings are mean and nasty, and unless there's a state to control them, everyone is out there to fuck each other over, and they are going to stab you in the back the second you turn around.
1: Yeah. All right, Um, yeah, I'm back to my quote. (laughs) One of the best ways to improve your sense of well-being is by helping others. It's a part of human design, important part, that's been essential to the survival of our species. Could not be more correct, because that would be, hopefully, after the apocalypse. what we would return to. Because we're programmed that way, right? I mean, I know it's 10,000 years, but I think the real damage is kind of the past 600. Yeah. Where it really ratcheted down, and then the Industrial Revolution really took it up 50 notches.
0: Yeah,
2: because even medieval Europe, people were helping their neighbors taking care of
0: each other yeah but being a slave in ancient rome i don't think he was all a barrel of monkeys no. And no, being no, a no. slave was never good but <laughs> right. you know
1: being a serf wasn't the worst thing because i think you kind of had a four-hour work day and spent your time crafting your tables or whatever yeah. at least hanging out with your community a little bit until the king came by to yeah no around.
2: nobody ever wants to join civilization that, no. right, oh, that, oh i love that's that the
0: thing yeah it's like if it's so great how come people are running away from it well, and that's the, you bring it up toward the beginning of the book regarding why you have, you know, all these cases of, for example, white people getting kidnapped by Native American tribes. And unless they decide to dispatch you right away, which would be right rather unpleasant, then if you're adopted into the tribe, then these guys don't want to go back. Yeah. But you don't see the other things happening. Right. You don't see na- natives <clears throat> get into a white society or like, get me out as fast as possible and so it's like okay th- that's saying something about the relative health of each society and right.
1: refusal to return like they create when yeah. they were clearing mm. pennsylvania the natives sued for the sued for peace but the part of the deal was to return all the white people right and they had to tie them to stay uh, sticks and carry their asses back because they did not want to go mm. yep
0: yep yep I and, wonder why. And exactly. That yeah. tells you a lot about what we need as human beings, what certain societies do provide, yeah. and what the alternative... And in fact, that's where the narrative of the superior culture falls on its face, because it's like, if it's so superior, people would would be knocking at the door asking you in, and instead it's the exact opposite happening, then that's when you know you've got a problem. And
1: that's a know? great section of the book, too, how it's all been sold to us over the years, the, mm-hmm. the yeah. savage native and all these sort of things right. that we're pretty much bullshit yeah
0: well let's jump into that for example so you go early on in some of the evidence regarding uh, violence in hunting and gathering societies and of course you know it's like humans are humans of course you're gonna find violence at some point happening everywhere across time the real question that people argue about and you jump into the fray on this is the rate of it right you know some of uh, and again a lot of this is messy because you have to dig through archaeology which is not always you know a lot of it is kind of anecdotal evidence based on archaeology rather than you get the full right. data that you would want to have to analyze yeah some people look at the data and say these guys were bashing each other's calls on a regular basis and they were only with the state then you know is the Steven pinker argument that's when violence really decreases. you're saying that's not the case at all um is there a, is there a, how, how do you, I guess, how do you come to a conclusion? How do you feel like, okay, I have enough information to make a call on this? Because like anytime I try to look at that and usually so polarized, you either have the people who are arguing it's all wonderful or it's all terrible. And, you know, it's like you read, uh, I don't know, War Before Civilization or books like that. And, you know, there's a lot of cherry pick data here and there that points to a horrible picture. But then, of course, they are not using all the data that doesn't fit their thesis. And then vice versa. And so I tend to be fairly confused when I look at that. And I've looked at that probably more than 99% of human beings because I'm interested in the topic. And I'm still, I'm confused. How were you able to navigate through all that to kind of feel solid on your conclusion on that? Well, first of all, I would
2: say... um, that I agree with you that it's very difficult, and I don't know that I feel super solid mm-hmm. because, as you say, the amount of evidence is scant, and people are extrapolating from uh, very little evidence in terms of archaeology. <clears throat> and even the evidence that we have uh, you know, there's a 20,000 year old skull with a hole in it. Well, okay, could have been an arrow. Could have been a club, could have been an animal that bit that skull and killed the person, could have been the skull collapsed 5,000 years sure. ago. And that, you know, it's yeah. very hard to know. Um, but having said that, I think there are a couple uh, factors that make me feel pretty confident. One is... That when you look at the arguments of people like Steven Pinker, for example, which I did in some Mm -hmm. detail here, you find a lot of real sketchy, and I would say and have said dishonest, presentation of evidence. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I will cop to cherry picking. I think everybody... Cherry picks, if what we mean by that is you assemble evidence that sure. supports your argument. Sure. Um, but no one, to my knowledge, has demonstrated that I've been dishonest in anything. Steven Pinker presents evidence of hunter gatherer um, death rates among males, and based on uh, papers by, I think, Bowles was the paper that he's based it on. And you go and look at that paper, and you see, that those hunter-gatherer men were killed by farmers and loggers and gold miners. Yeah, that's
0: clearly that is They
2: were shot dead
0: by invading civilized people. Yeah, that's a crappy piece of evidence. That clearly should be, and it's out immediately. That's exactly. not even on the And, so,
2: and you use yeah. that to say, oh, look, these hunter-gatherers are very violent. Right. Like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. You know, yeah, either you didn't bad, read it. the paper or you're... You're fucking lying here. So, okay, I look at stuff like that, and there are other... Yeah, that's Pink, not right. Pinker did this him. other thing yeah. on, in his TED Talk, and in the, I think it was the Blank Slate, where he talks about where you're starting to gear up for the argument that he made later in the, the book about war and peace and all that, um, where he says, okay, let's look at these 10 hunter-gatherer societies to get a baseline for how violent hunter-gatherer life was, and I explained this in Sex at Dawn. Eight of those societies are not hunter-gatherers. Yeah, that's pretty
0: bad. Like, what are you doing, yeah, man? That's terrible. That's so if even... you
2: need to do that kind of hocus-pocus to yeah. support your argument, that makes me think your argument probably is
0: is pretty hopeless. Which kind of makes you wonder. I mean, that is different to argue based on incomplete evidence. So, you know, you find uh, the skulls of uh, 50 hunters and gatherers in Russia and thirteen in Tanzania and 12 in South America. It's like, okay... And you try to generalize about the whole hunter and gathering experience. I can see how one would do that because you are, you know, this is the data you got. I don't have much. And so I run with what I have and I right. may come to an incorrect conclusion. I understand that. Fair. But this is so plain. It's so plainly dishonest. Yeah. That is like, if you have looked at it for a minute and a half, you know that your data doesn't support your and conclusion. And he's a smart guy. So... Right, Why Harvard professor. He knows
2: how to do this kind of stuff. The other, another one he does that I point out in the book is where he talks about the Kung San right. people, right, in Botswana, in the Kalahari Desert, and he says their murder rate is uh, equal to the worst murder rates in American cities like yeah. Baltimore, and Detroit, yeah. right. But then you look at it and you say, wait a minute, there are like 150 people in in these uh, communities. And if their murder rate is, you know, four out of 100,000 or whatever yeah. it is in, in Detroit, that means like there's one murder every 70 years. Yeah. So he and then he paints this picture of like they're living with this incredible rates of violence. Yeah. Like, no, man, most lives go by. They've never even heard of anyone getting Of course. Killed. So okay, statistically, mathematically, yeah, but you're manipulating but you're painting the painting data. Painting a picture yeah. that isn't true. It's like the the longevity argument, you know, like yeah, oh, yeah. everyone died when they were thirty five. No, they didn't. A lot of babies died. You average that out to the people lived into their seventies or even eighties, and you get an average life expectancy at birth of thirty five. What do we do in the modern world? We don't count abortions. Right, of course. Add abortions into your, your average lifespan and you're going to find it's exactly the same as it was. Right. It's, it's a statistic. So anyway, when I, so I look at the situation and I say, okay, the, the evidence is, you can, is arguable. Uh-huh. It's, it's, you know, not super solid. But first thing I see is to make that argument that they're making, they've got to play all these tricks. Right. So, I'm not playing any of those tricks. Second thing is let's look at actual hunter-gatherers today. Right. And what you see is people like Napoleon Chagnon, who wrote The Fierce People about the Yanomami. He went there, gave them machetes, totally fucked up their society, provoked them into offending the other villages nearby by naming their dead ancestors, which was forbidden in their religions. Provoked fights and then reported to the world that they were violent people right you see Jane Goodall did the
0: same fucking thing with chimpanzees by the way sorry before we jump into the Goodall example aren't those guys uh horticulturalists yeah the
2: Yanomami exactly they
0: are not really hunters and gatherers right
2: right and you know, that's the mistake that that or the deception that Pinker made right. as well, right? By sorry, but so and, and the reason that's yeah. a relevant distinction is horticulturalists have gardens. Yeah, they have settled villages yeah, where they've built a longhouse or different shelters, and they have domesticated animals, yeah. pigs, whatever. So they have something that's worth fighting over, totally. which then brings me to the third reason that I feel somewhat comfortable with my argument. I think. I think the argument uh, against prehistoric violence and warfare is much stronger. There's nothing worth fighting over. Mm -hmm. You have no accumulated wealth. What are you going to risk your life over? Right. Women, okay, but if women are free to move between groups, as we know they were, you're not
0: going to go kidnap women. So you have the original incel from... Thirty thousand years ago, that is like I can't get laid in my tribe, so right. I'm gonna. try. Right. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, and and well, there, the whole argument about you know novelty and sexual right. uh, as in sex at dawn, but but if you don't have, you're nomadic, which means you're moving yep. around, so you don't like this is not our sure. river, this yep. is not our delta, everyone's moving around, the groups around you are friendly to you because you share languages you get together for seasonal festivals and that's when the women move between or the men move between groups um although our species is female exogamous which means that generally it's the females that leave the group that they were born into same with chimps same with bonobos Uh, and there are good genetic reasons for that of course um what do you get a fight over Right, Right? And what do we see when we look at how hunter-gatherers actually live? Hospitality is Mm -hmm. extremely important. There are networks. Why? Because there will be regional food shortages. So you take care of us, we take care of you. That's the way we survived as a species. It happens individually, and it happens between families, between communities. So I don't see the logical basis for arguing that our hunter-gatherer ancestors were at war with each other. I don't see what they were fighting over. I don't see any evidence in contemporary hunter-gatherers that have been studied. And I don't see strong archaeological evidence
0: no that meant that makes sense what was the good example by the way that you were saying about oh, well yeah. a real quick fa- yeah. one of my
1: favorite lines yeah. the best place for extra food is in the stomach of my friend yeah. oh yeah, exactly. yeah that was a good one we're couldn't, we, couldn't we learn <laughs> yeah. that lesson at least you yeah. know this society yeah. should we feed everybody first yeah. wouldn't that yeah. be a nice place to start yeah Have and i'm sorry day. we'll get back to Jane yeah. Goodall, but that was just just such an eye-opening notion that wow we really did take care of each other when we were in this condition where if you didn't there's no way anybody was going to make yeah
2: well and that gets back to the rich asshole syndrome section where i i think it hurts not to take care of people it hurts to see somebody sleeping on the sidewalk and not stop and say hey dude can i help you what's happening here that hurts yeah but in the modern world we have to learn to do that
1: yeah, we're and fine so with the three hundred rich dollar yacht, yeah. but okay, the children go hungry in Los Angeles. Or we're fine
2: driving down the road in our, our fucking Prius yeah. and drive right by the homeless guy. So that's the thing in that chapter. I, I was, you know, and I talked about when I was in India and these kids were looking at my food and yeah. you know yep. like what I was trying to say is we're all rich assholes. That's the tragedy of it. Yeah. Yep. That we're all guilty of this and it hurts us. And so we develop scar tissue and we distort ourselves in order to not see the reality of what's happening. And, of course, as we all know, when you develop these systems to not look at reality,
1: you
0: get fucked up. Yeah, yeah, you got a problem. Look at all
1: those junkies in their tents over there. If only they would take care of themselves. Right, right. Right. It's all their fault. It is. That's the
0: other day. There was um, a few weeks ago. There was uh, right by where I live. uh, Big fire. Uh, started burning down stuff. And he was uh, the son of a local chamber of commerce guy, uh firebomb at homeless camp. And I was like, nice, that worked out well. But in any case, uh, sorry, Goodall. Um,
2: well, Jane, what happened with Jane Goodall was she went to uh, Gombe mm-hmm. um, and the first five or six years she was there, she... Uh, reported that the chimpanzees were very peaceful uh, and even intermingled between groups. And we know now from DNA testing that it's common for female chimpanzee in estrus to sort of run over to a neighboring group and have sex with the males in that group. And so there was lots of interaction between these groups. Um, she had graduate students coming down who were helping her with the studies of the chimps. It's really hard to study chimps in the wild because they move through the treetops and you're down on the ground, hacking your way through the brush, the underbrush, and you can't keep up with them. You can't observe them. And you know, it's really hard. So they came up with this idea where they would put out fruit uh, at a certain time every day and the chimps would learn and then the chimps would come to them and they could observe the chimp behavior from, you know, yep. their blinds. Right. And so they put out boxes. The chimps would smell the fruit and come and just rip these boxes apart because chimps are super strong. right? And chimps never smell food that they can't get. Right. There's no like where in the jungle are they sure. going to smell food that they can't get to. So. Uh, they get frustrated pretty quickly and they destroyed these boxes. So, but they stuck with the idea. So, they ended up like making these concrete bunkers with like iron bars over them that they would put this fruit in. And then at a certain time every day, they'd unlock the bunkers, open it up, and the chimps would eat all this fruit. So, what have they done here? First of all, they've totally distorted the chimps' natural behavior because they don't find concentrations yeah, of, of fruit in the jungle. It's all dispersed. Right. So they're spread out, and they would hoot to each other, and, hey, there's a, this tree is full of fruit. Yep. Well, okay, and they'd all come over, and they'd all get it. There's enough for everybody, and it's spread out. There's nothing to fight about. What have they done? They've created a surplus. They've created concentrated wealth. Right. So now they're fighting. Now the alpha males are, you know, attacking the females and the lower-ranking males. It's it's created agriculture essentially. Mm -hmm. They've got a you know a harvest every day at five o'clock. They've got this fruit, so they become very violent. She reports all this violence that's happening. Then what happens? The neighboring groups hear about this fruit or smell the fruit or whatever, they start coming in, creates war between these groups. They've got something to fight over. Again, agriculture. So now she's reporting war between groups of chimpanzees, which is on the front fucking cover of National Geographic. And it becomes this huge thing because this is the late 60s. The Vietnam War is raging. Everybody's thinking about war. Oh, the origins of war and chimpanzees. It's been with us for 8,000 years. You know, there's nothing we can do. It's part of our human nature. No, it's not. It's a combination of our nature and a certain ecological or economic condition that didn't exist until the surpluses the concentrated surpluses of
1: agriculture and then there's a chimp in the corner making a list in sanskrit right and it goes on again exactly the accountant chimp are you gonna get to do a ted talk at some point on this
2: a doubtful. I did a TED talk about sex at dawn, yeah, yeah. and it turned into a bit of a, a fiasco. You and Graham Hancock caught in trouble. Yeah, I don't think they're going to invite me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole thing. There was actually, uh, the New York Times wrote an article about TED, and they interviewed me for it, and I talked about the experience, and so I think I'm probably blacklisted. You're from no t-
0: longer on the welcome list. Uh, I say. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, forget uh, about that. <laughs>
0: So one of the things that you hear, the people who have the optimistic view of everything is working out for the best, greatest time to be alive, blah, blah, blah. There tend to be, I mean, anybody who is not a complete idiot has to acknowledge that there are some issues. And, you know, one of the most obvious one is environmental problems. You know, even, you know, back a couple of decades ago, denial was a particularly strong aspect of just saying, No such things. What are you talking about? There's no problem. Now, of course, anybody, even the most super hardcore, let's go forward with progress, has to acknowledge that there are some environmental issues. Uh, But of course, denial works in other ways. Now, you can deny that there aren't issues, but you can say, oh, it's all because of you damn hippies who aren't embracing nuclear power, because if we just switch to nuclear power, then everything would work out great we could maintain civilization where it's at and everything would be amazing because we would no longer be burning fossil fuels and blah, 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 blah. The Ben Shapiro argument of, uh, approach to environmentalism, right? Um, what's your take on
2: nuclear energy? Yeah. 10 minutes before you showed up this morning, I was reading an article about Fukushima and the, uh, Millions of tons of radioactive water that they're storing and don't know what to do with and 150 tons per day are being added. Right. I think that's a problem. Yeah. And what, what do you think is going to happen with that water eventually? They're going to pour it in the ocean. That's right. They're just going to wait until people aren't looking that. anymore yeah. and it's going in the ocean. Well, we
1: have the same problem here up near um, Hanford. Or uh, 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 Los Diablos, nuclear, you know, the same one that they shut down near Camp Pendleton 10 years ago, built at the same time. That one was shut down because the, the pipes had been reduced by 90% from the seawater but now they want to extend this one two more years. That's right next to Cambria, Morro Bay, some of those beautiful places, Pismo beach. Yeah. And, right. uh, they, we can Fukushima
0: that up by ourselves. And one of the things that these guys argue is like, Oh, because that was nuclear energy built uh, years ago. Now it's a whole different process. So say, but but still and no one knows what to do with the waste.
1: Yep. Except make, yeah. you know, plutonium for bombs. That's yeah. why they pick uranium instead of thorium. Yeah. So I,
2: The argument of like technology will solve the problem. Uh, No, 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 I don't buy it. Uh, Technology creates just as many problems as it solves. And actually many of the problems it claims to solve aren't actually solved. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I don't buy the nuclear thing. I, I think, you know, the, the argument I end with, in the book, the, the place I hope we go. I don't think we will, but I hope we do, is you know, it's like the Joseph Campbell thing, the the prodigal son, the the, yep. the the person who goes out and explores and makes mistakes and has challenges, the Odyssey, whatever, every story, the hero's return, comes back with the lessons learned to where we started and We do it right Mm -hmm. because now we know how to live here with what we've learned out in the world, right? And I do think solar energy, thermal, geothermal energy, wave energy, there's energy, there's free energy everywhere, yep. Right? Just how do we harness it and without destroying uh, the world in the process or ourselves? One of the technologies that is so so important, and that we're underutilizing is birth control. Right? There's no logic that says more people is better. I don't understand that argument. Right. And that's, I raised it earlier with chickens. Like, more chickens doesn't mean chickens live better. Right. Right. There's no correlation between sure. overall population of a species and the quality of life of the members of that species. In fact, it's often the The opposite. opposite. I think I quoted Isaac Asimov in the book saying, you know, there's a certain amount of quality of life and the more people you have, the less each of us gets. Of course. So we do have uh, birth control technology. We know how to do this. We know it makes life better for women. We know that uh, having fewer kids is actually better for the kids, better for the parents, better for the planet. The only argument against it is we need constant growth Economically. Sure. Well, who needs that? The people who are making money on scaling up, right? Right. But as we've already established, their lives aren't actually better. Right, right, right. So I think the whole house of cards is built on this idea that scaling up is always better, better, better. It's not. It's demonstrably not. If we could wrap our heads around that and say, wait a minute, if we had universal basic income, which we can afford... It would eliminate most of the wars so we could take it out of the defense budgets of a lot of countries mm-hmm. because what are people fighting over? Insecurity, financial insecurity. Why are they having all these kids to take care of them in their old age because there's no money? Well, if everybody was getting 2000 bucks a month or the local equivalent and you actually got more money if you had fewer kids, mm-hmm. then people would be incentivized not to have kids in a few generations global population would be reduced to what 100 million 200 million 500 million imagine how well we could all live the fisheries would recover the, you know all these natural systems would come back into balance and we wouldn't tax the planet the way we are now what's the disadvantage the disadvantage is a bunch of people who aren't yet born wouldn't be born who cares like nobody suffers for not being born right right yeah so uh, you know i i feel like uh i've already forgotten what your question was but it had something to do with this but the technology that we can utilize to increase human uh, life satisfaction i think is that we incentivize people to have Mm -hmm. fewer kids and, you know, we are not have to kill anybody. I'm not advocating, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. you know, forced abortions yeah. or, or, you know, death camps. I'm just saying let the old people die. Let people grow up with economic security and not feel that they need to have a lot of kids. Have a kid if you want. Have two kids if you want. Have three kids if you want. But understand that the, the what is incentivized by... The global mm-hmm. collective is: let's have fewer kids, so those of us who are alive in three generations can live more lightly on the planet. Makes sense to me. Cool. Thank you so much.
1: My Thank man. you. Thank you. And thanks for writing. Book, I know book available the- everywhere. That uh, everywhere, even bookstores. I, I think books there's no such thing except Seven Eleven. I don't the, think you can get it at Seven. You know,
0: by the way, when I was reading the book, I was like, "God damn it!" Because you know, I value your quality of life so the last thing i want is for you to write another book but <laughs> considering that uh your the result was so good i'm like come on chris get back to work
2: hey, another 10 years Turn like out novel, another, another you know i actually i i this winter i'm i'm gonna be working on a book i, I don't want to talk about it too much sure, but it's sure. totally different uh, uh it's gonna a novel sweet yeah i dig it yeah so hopefully that'll be fun to write. I've, I've written enough of these like big idea books, I think.
1: Funky music means one thing, and that's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken House Podcast. I mean, the fact that we have to wait seven years for a book—it's worth it. Because go check it out, everybody. I can't—you know—we're lucky enough that we get to actually hang out with the fellow. But his writing really feels like his conversations, and it's—it's it's a great read, and you know, something we all need to wake up to. It's really. Really fucking awesome.
0: I can't, I'm not one to make shit up when it doesn't apply. You know, I've, uh, there are plenty of people I like who have done, there's nowhere near. This is amazing. This is just uh, what Chris has done in this book is beautiful. Please check it out. Speaking of people we like, let's say thank you to a lot of folks because we haven't done this in about forever. So thank you to the usual suspects who have been donating to the show. So let's jump into it. Let the pottering begin. Big thanks to Lisa Robles, Pat Hartman, Andre Garapetian, Aistis Juska, Nicola Togni, Aaron Weisner, who donated twice in this period, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Matt Chebre, Robert Primos, Jesse Ran... Oh, Jesus, fuck Jesse, I'm struggling That's a tough here. one, isn't it? Ranta Kangas, I'm guessing, Yanni Linima, Christopher Parcel, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Federico Rossi, and we got Luis Pesquera, Thomas Robinson, and Ross Cranham. You guys are fucking awesome. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank it's you so much, everybody. Super we certainly, certainly
1: appreciate it. Real quick, kiva.org $134,000 in loans uh, supplied by you, our fellow listeners. Please come join us. Kiva.org, it's $25 to join in on a loan from all over the world. Help somebody get a cow, a water pump. uh, Loans even available in the United States. Loan, get repaid, loan again. It's that easy. And we'd love to have you join us. Kiva.org, you can join Team Drunken Taoist.
0: And you guys know the drill as far as Amazon. If you happen to buy books with Amazon, please use our link. It helps us a bunch. Yeah, right? So get Chris' book, your life will be better. Chris got the royalties and we got a little cut on Amazon. It's everybody wins. Mr. Bezos would be very upset. (laughs) Sweet. Okay. Let's roll. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye.
1: and so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken douse podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielle at Bolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at RichieMon1, R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! No you don't In questo
0: cazzo In questo caso, Le providenza di Dio Duncan showed you the way eh? Oh
1: man Isn't that scary to think
0: Nice <laughs> So don't kill people Do that instead <laughs>
1: <laughs> This was great It's fucking awesome And I love this currency
0: I have nothing against chicken Other than the fact that they are Ugly and weird and strange We've been you having know, a great hour s- here Duncan Oh man, I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're uh, outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's. So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tomstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about. Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. Tombstone. Just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <clears throat> We'll, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's maybe too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky.
1: Podcasting. It's like radio,
0: but you can cuss. Why?